Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, hey, welcome to Dose of Leadership. So happy you're tuning into the show. Fantastic conversation today. What a thrill and honor it was to have Kelly Earnhardt Miller on the show. She is a part owner and general manager of JR Motorsports and is considered one of the most prominent businesswomen in NASCAR today. She oversees the company's race team, the management team, and all the business ventures for her brother, Dale Earnhardt Jr. She's the daughter of seven-time NASCAR champion Dale Earnhardt Sr. She graduated from the University of North Carolina with a BA in business admin. She's a multiple award recipient and 2015 was named as one of Sports Business Journal's Game Changers Women in Sports Business for her impact on the motorsports industry. You can imagine as the co-owner and general manager of JR Motorsports that she knows what hard work, dedication, and thriving in a man's world looks like, right? She's born into racing royalty. We talk about that on the show. And growing up around the racetrack and surrounded by and competing with NASCAR's greatest, Kelly Miller learned how to stand on her own merit with a clear understanding what that it was going to take a lot to keep up with the family legacy. We talk about that in the show, and she talks about it in her brand new book, a great book that I highly recommend, called Drive, Nine Lessons to Win in Business and Life. It's coming out April 7th, 2020. And what surprised me in the book, and we talk about it on the show, is her unique relationship she had with her father. It wasn't all that close, and I just kind of assumed as an outsider looking in that it was, but it wasn't. And she's very authentic and transparent about that. And how that kind of led to this tight-knit relationship with her brother. And she's been with her brother ever since. They started JR Motorsports, and she's been at the helm of it. And it was just a a fascinating conversation. And we talk about her nine lessons on this show that she talks about in her book, about being authentic and approachable, about customizing your communications, managing your emotions, compartmentalizing them, aiming for the win-win, balancing, prioritizing your work and your life, from the communication front, filling in those gaps of uncertainty and as the leader of the organization, communicating where the ship is going and why and constantly doing it. It's just a nice, genuine, authentic conversation and it was just a fantastic guest. And I'm so glad that she's in the Dose of Leadership Circle now. I think you're really going to enjoy this. The show is brought to you by my services. Especially during this time of lockdown, it's trouble to keep in touch with your team and keep them motivated and keep their eye on the big picture. And leadership training, even in the best of times, is difficult and often expensive to conduct. Well, I've got a solution for you, particularly in this time of lockdown and uncertainty. Over the past five years, I've taken 30-plus organizations through my Legacy Leader Blueprint course, something we can do online. My first client was in Perth, Australia, and I was sitting here in Kansas, and I trained 20 of their team members on this course, and it's great. It doesn't break the bank, and we can spread it out over time. Four modules, 20 videos, five videos in each module. The first module is Leadership Fundamentals. The second one is Leading Yourself. The third module is Leading Others, and the fourth one is Transformational Leadership Topics. And the process is I give each team member or each team two weeks to watch one module. That's five videos. They can watch one module in an hour and an hour and a half over a two-week time period. So we spread it out over time. We don't. We know they're busy. They got lots of stuff going on. And then when they're done watching that first module or one module, we'll get online on Zoom, and we'll facilitate. I'll facilitate a discussion for an hour and a half to talk about the topics that they learned in those modules. We'll do that four times to get through the whole course. It takes about two months, two and a half months, and it doesn't break the bank. Five hundred dollars a seat. So it's a perfect introduction the fundamental and advanced leadership topics to plant that seed of a decentralized leadership culture in your organization, and it doesn't break the bank. You can find out more or reach out to me. Go to doseofleadership.com, go to the Contact Me section and fill out that form, or you can email me directly at richard at doseofleadership.com, and I'll 
set up a time where we can talk about to see if this might be a good fit for you and your organization. My other call to action is, if you're finding value in Dose of Leadership, please take the time to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast application and tell somebody about this show. Tell your spouse, tell your family member, tell your, tell your son, your daughter, your cousin, your aunt, your uncle, somebody, coworker. let them know about this show. Find one more person that hasn't started listening to podcasts or hasn't found out about Dose of Leadership and let them know about the great value that you're receiving on this show. It does so much to keep this show growing and maintaining it a top 25 pod- podcast in Apple Podcasts in the management category. I appreciate your support after all these seven years, and I look forward to the next seven years of continuing to bring you great value for free here on Dose of Leadership. Thanks again for your support. All right, let's continue and start our conversation with Kelly Earnhardt Miller here on Dose of Leadership. Kelly, I'm so excited to meet you. Thanks for coming on Dose of Leadership. Yeah, Richard, same for you. I'm excited about the opportunity to be here. Yeah, you know, it's funny when I was searching for um, potential guests, it was it was funny. I was like, I came across your book and I think I messaged your Facebook page and I was like, oh man, I'd love to, this book is coming out. I'd love to talk to her about this. And I didn't hear anything for a day. And then the next day I got an email from your press agent. So I don't know if it was Kismet or something, but it was just a, a perfect timing. So uh, this was a thrill for me to have you on. Well, I'm excited about the book. I'm excited to uh, share my experiences with uh, people and uh, your podcast is right up the alley of, of the audience that I hope is interested in the book. And um, so, yeah, let's let's jump in and talk about it. Well, what an amazing story. And we were talking a little bit before we started recording. I mean, obviously working with, with the Earnhardt family name, the legacy, the pressures, you got to live up to that. I love in your book how you opened up with this kind of authentic story. You know, I, I'm, I, I admit I'm one of those that would kind of thought, oh, man, her life must have been so great and this and that. You paint this this authentic picture. It had to be very courageous and difficult for you to, to paint it. But you paint this authentic picture of, of your, your dad and, and your relationship really wasn't all that great with him, was it? Yeah, and I thought that was an important part of the story in, in terms of kind of setting up because um, when I originally uh, wanted to write a book, uh, that's really what I wanted to talk about. I wanted to share for people like you that just think, you know, hey, it just must have been great or, you know, Dale Earnhardt was such an amazing race car driver. He accomplished so many things. Uh, you know, life as his daughter, it just must have been rosy. And um, I... I wanted to talk about that story because through through my own life and personal growth, uh, I realized the foundation of my childhood really kind of set me up for a lot of decisions that I made as a young adult and an adult. And until I got into therapy, um, I really didn't realize that was what was going on. Right. And so I was telling my brother's book publisher, you know, he wrote a book um, and uh, on his concussions and. Um, I was telling the publisher, you know, I want to write this book and this is what I want to talk about. And she said, look, you know, nobody's going to read that. Nobody's going to want to read that. And and I don't think she literally meant that. But, you know, the whole Hollywood thing that goes on where you talk about these child actors and then how they end up in this bad situation. You know, nobody really wants to hear like how great and glamorous it was. And then you failed at it, you know. Exactly. And so um, and and she said and I said, well, you know, I just have this message. And I, I do think NASCAR fans, you know, are interested in that. We have a, a huge loyal fan base. Um, and so I do think that there is some interest there, but she said, you know, let's focus on taking your experiences and even those as a young adult and these things that are churning through your head and talking about them from a business perspective, because you've grown into, uh, you know, a great businesswoman in your industry. And, and so that's kind of where the, the story turned. And, but I think the, the beginning of the book is important that, you know, I have four chapters on, uh, growing up as an Earnhardt and, and my dad, I'm, uh, was very difficult to uh, tell this story because so many people have uh, a you know this huge positive image of my dad as a race car driver, and he was uh, you know by far, in my opinion, and, and most everyone else's, one of the greatest that ever uh, hit the track. But in the same time that he was developing and, and driving his career, he was trying to be a father and a husband for the third time, and and a lot of things going on in his life that that produced, you know, issues in our family and and in our home life and and as kids. And, and, um, and I'm a mom of three. So I, you know, see these things and, and, and 
parenting my own kids and making my own um, decisions in life. And so, I don't know, just a lot came out of it. So I thought that was important to kind of set that up um, in terms and then talking about, you know, the business and leadership aspects throughout the rest of the book. No, so. I really appreciated that that opening of it. I, I didn't expect it when I started reading it. And I, I thought it was great. And I, and I know you mentioned early on in, in the book that you were like, well, you're you had reservations about this because, as you just pointed out, you didn't want to taint this kind of image of your father. But I, I don't think even revealing those kind of um, personal warts and family warts and the reality of it did any damage whatsoever. I think, if anything, it probably enhanced. I mean, if you're a fan of Dale Earnhardt, you're you're gonna even appreciate him that much more because it just makes him that much more real, right? I mean, yeah, you can't exactly it kind of humanizes exactly. Things, I think, you you know? can't right. You, you can't take away anything that he did on the track, regardless. And I think if we, you see behind the scenes, like wow, he he really did kind of struggle and and he he divorced early on with young kids and then he, he didn't really know how to be a good father and and you know, but he man that that describes you know everybody you know, the vast majority of the population, right? We're all trying to figure it out. And so when yes. I, my takeaway, my takeaway was from it, and I was a fan of him. I always appreciated him. I didn't take anything when I read it. I think, oh, it just made him more human. Like you said, I get it, you know? And, and when I read it, I look at it and I, and pertains to your life. It's kind of interesting because, um, Oh, uh, you know, I mean, you you could always go back and say, I wish I'd done this different. And like you said, man, you know, you didn't talk to your dad the last three weeks of his life and then he he perished and you're like, oh, you know, that had to be huge and you're working out. But you know what? All of that led up to where you're at even today, right? I yes, mean, absolutely. I mean, all of that paved the way for you to, to be in this business, to, you know, the relationship with your brother, it's continued to grow. I, mean, I don't know. It's just, it. Yeah. you do... You keep going forward. I mean, I guess that's what I see with you is that you, you've you've had the time and the experience to look back with kind of and marinate on those experiences, and you've realized, oh, this has led me to where I'm at today. Is that fair? Yeah, I definitely believe that, and I've uh, I communicate that message to my employees here at JRM. Uh, you know, often just that you know. Because a lot of people, when they talk about my dad's death, uh, you know, they want to be very um, stoic and sorry right. and apologetic and and all these things. And and while I mean, sure, I would have loved to have him a lot longer, but I am thankful that the journey took us to where we are. And I, I may not have worked for my brother if my dad exactly. Uh, you know, it, if that death didn't happen when it did, um, we wouldn't be running junior motorsports. I wouldn't had the opportunity to, uh, you know, drive this business for 15 years and, uh, you know, drive my brother's career and, you know, just really who knows what would have happened. I mean, you, you can get into the what ifs. I mean, maybe I wouldn't have had two more kids. I just, I really don't right. know. I mean, a lot of things could be really different. And um, so, I, you know, I communicate that message that, and that's what I do like to focus on is the fact that, um uh, you know, there's a lot of great things that have come out of the way that life has unfolded. And even as a kid, um, you know, kind of surviving being a kid, I think really set me up for who I am and how I operate and, yeah. and how I negotiate in business and things like that. So. For sure. And I really appreciate the story about that was surprising to me, too, that I didn't know is the relationship with your brother and how instrumental you were and still are to the to instrumental to how your brother turned out. Because you were really kind of the caregiver to him. That's something I didn't know, you know. I mean, you were there. You guys developed this bond because you didn't really, you know, you both were kind of seeking. And having, this, yeah, we didn't have anything, anything have else. anybody else to turn to. So, yeah, you're right. And we, t you know, we talk about that in our NASCAR world a lot, but, um, uh, and have done a lot of interviews about because most people are like, you know, how are you guys so close and, and the trust that you have and all those things. But um, it is a unique relationship and a unique sister and brother relationship that, um, you know, it, it, it baffles a lot of people when they come into our life. You know, or my husband, Dell's wife, when they first, when we first started dating, they're like, you guys are really close, you know, and, and so everybody's trying to like figure out that relationship, but, um, uh, it served us well and it served a purpose and, uh, well, it makes it, I like it because it makes it puts it in perspective for me from an outsider looking in and, and, and your role in your organization, how you did it, yeah. it makes perfect sense. I mean, it, 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 it all, 
I can't think now that I know that backstory, I can't think of it happening any other way, you know? Right. <laughs> yeah. It's really great. So what prompted you to write this book now? Why now? Well, I, you know, as I alluded to earlier, just kind of in conversation with the publisher of Dale's book as he was going through that process and, and, uh, and she took, um, the, the idea back to the publishing company and they're like, mm, this could be interesting and, and uh, this could work. So they, you know, made me an opportunity uh, that I couldn't refuse. And, um, and we started the process and, you know, have you ever wrote a book? I'm writing one right now. Yeah. Writing one right now. So it's a process, isn't it? You know, this has been 18 months in the making pretty much. And, um, and so I'm just thrilled that I get to finally talk about it because uh, I started writing um, in the summer of 18. Uh, And so through the fall and through the winter, kind of wrapped that up. And then uh, my mom was diagnosed with lung cancer in January of 19. And she unfortunately passed away in April of 19. And so in, I was turning in my manuscript in February of 19. Wow. Going through the process of editing and uh, uh, all those things. So lots of emotions and different things going on through this whole process. And so I'm just, I'm just so happy that it's, um, you know, coming to fruition and I can actually share it with other people. Yeah. What a process. I mean, I think, it, you know, as I, in the pro in the middle of it, and I try to sit down. It is such a beast. I mean, I've accomplished so many things, but this has been a, the, one of the hardest things I've ever done. And I, I, it's all internal, and it's all you know the mental of just sitting down and actually doing it. And I've even asked the question to other authors, and I was like, "Well, what do I do? How do I get it done?" And they said, "Well, you just got to sit down and write." And it's really, yeah, it's, that's what you got to do. And and then I wonder, you know, are people going to like it? Exactly but, right. You, you know, you get finished. Yeah, yeah. And is it is it good enough? You know, <laughs> right. is it. Is it material that someone's going to find interesting and, and all those things? So it is a process. Well, I'm excited that you're here talking about it and, and you're just starting this process to do the, this media press tour on it. I love the the nine lessons. I mean, it, and in fact, when I was doing my search, I'm always searching for guests to talk about. And when I saw this and I'm like, oh, man, yeah, and the the nine lessons of be authentic and approachable, succeed using strengths, customize your communication, manage your emotions, on and on and on. It, all of that resonates with what we talk about here on the show. And personally, for me, as, as, a, as a leader, I think, you know, in opening up your book, we talked about how authentic you were and, and being kind of open book. And then you lead off as, as your first kind of lesson there, be authentic and approachable. That really resonates with me. I do think that is one of the currencies that leaders if they could just, I think authenticity, transparency, and vulnerability are three currencies that can just open so many doors for leaders, in, for all of us, but for from a leadership perspective in life. But we suck at it because it's just so, I don't know why we think it's so hard to be authentic and transparent and vulnerable, but it's it's hard, right? Well, because the reason that it's very hard, and 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 uh, it's funny that I uh, start with that lesson because it is one of the hardest. Um, uh, and I don't think being approachable is necessarily hard. Yeah, I agree. I think being authentic is yeah. hard, and and it's because we're competitive, and our worlds are competitive. And uh, you know, if uh, we're we're a society of not so much in this day, but probably a lot of the the generation of the leaders today, uh, you know, pride, um, there's different things that come up when you talk about being authentic and, and, um, that you just don't want to, you know, those are sharing, you know, even sharing those first, first, uh, few chapters of my life, uh, you know, judgment, um, you're easily persecuted, you're, you're, uh, you know, easily judged if, something, you know, how can you lead a fortune 500 company if you've done X, Y, Z, you know, right. and like you can't overcome, uh, things that have happened in your life, you know? So I think that's one of the, the issues with being authentic is that, um, you know, you're, you're, we're, we're concerned about that judgment. We're concerned about what the other people think and how that's going to per- be perceived and taken. But, um, I just find when you're honest and, and authentic and, you know, I mean, the very thing that we said again about those first four chapters, it, it humanizes you right. and it makes you like other people. And then they go, Oh, wow. She's just like me. That's approachable, you know. Yeah, I mean, if, if you can get it. The the judgment piece for sure. For whatever reason, I think we don't want to be seen as 
I don't know, as weak or we weak, don't want to be negative, failure, yeah. negative. We don't yeah. judge. Do want, what are people going to think about me? And the reality is, I mean, 100% of the time when you open up, I think it's a fine line. I mean, as leaders, and I, I get this, I have had this conversation with multiple pilots too. I mean, if I'm completely, and authentic doesn't mean that you don't compartmentalize your emotions, right? I mean, I think that, and and it's not that you try to be inauthentic uh, or deceitful. It's, I think all of us, or the vast majority of us want to be authentic, but like I said, we don't want to be misunderstood or, or judged. Like if this crisis situation is happening or something, so if I'm having trouble at home with my relationship with my family or my spouse, I'm not necessarily going to come and wear all those emotions on my sleeve if the situation, because sometimes the situation doesn't warrant that. For example, if my engine's on fire as I'm flying the plane, I may be petrified and you're sitting next to me i can't show you how scared i really am does that make sense <laughs> yes exactly and so the I'm, same thing in business i mean yes you can't always lay it out on the line exactly. i mean you know i've got to pull it together when i'm in front of sponsors even if i had a bad morning or a bad day right. or you know things like that yeah there's there's going to be situations where you you know and i don't i don't really think that that's not being authentic either but um right you know i i uh yeah it's um it's something that's just really important to me. You know, I have race fans that say to me, I'll see them here on our campus uh, for junior motorsports or out at the races or, you know, even if I'm out in Walmart. I was in Disney World uh, two weeks ago um, and uh, some folks recognized me and I went over and, and gave their kids some cotton candy and took some pictures with them and everything. And they're like, we just can't believe you came over here to talk to us. Right. And I'm like, why wouldn't I come over here to talk to you? <laughs> exactly. You know? Um, and so, you know, but a lot of people, I mean, I, I saw some celebrities walking through Disney world and, and the, the wife of, I think he was a basketball player. I don't know who he was, but she literally was, I, I saw her upset with people taking pictures and doing these different things. Um, and you know, to me, it sort of comes with the territory when you're a celebrity like that. Agree, so, right? you know, I don't mind stopping and talking to people and, and that's just who I am. Well, a huge part of being authentic too is is knowing yourself, and I think I got that sense from reading your book is that you've kind of got to this point because you became completely honest with yourself. I think, and I know from my leadership journey, the moment I stopped worrying about what other people thought, and I started really focusing on, okay, what am I really good at? What am I limited at? I'm going to focus on my strengths. I'm not going to worry so much about my weaknesses and my limitations. That, and and but I'm I'm aware of the limitations that are holding me back, but I'm going to start from this day forward, focusing on what I'm good at. And yeah. I know who I am. I know what weaknesses I want to improve on. Right. I mean, that's, yes. that, that's, <laughs> amen. Me, yeah. I was, you know, a few minutes that we uh, were able to, to share before we started uh, talking here, we were talking about raising our, our kids and, right. and you have daughters and it's the same lesson and message that I give to her. It's like, you know, I always ask her, she'll be upset about someone or something or, or how she's viewed or how this situation, and I said, you know, how much does it matter? Like, is it going to matter tomorrow? you know, is anything that that person can say or do going to, I don't mean hurt your feelings, but literally, I mean, like what, you know, let's stop and, and just do a gut check here and say, what really, where does this line up at the end of the day in how we go about our life, you know? And um, I, I think that's really hard for our kids these days and, and even people on social media and stuff to, to, st you know, not listen to that stuff. I am confident enough in my own skin my own world to not care what, you know, the, the people say about me on social media, they can talk negative all they want. And I just, you know, I ignore it. Right. It, it does. I know who I am. Mm -hmm. Um, I know who I want to be. And, uh, so, you know, I know the, and even if there is some truth to something that they say that could be negative, I, I know the reasons why it happened or what the situation was, you know, let's just say that, um, you know, someone's talking about divorce or something like that. You know, I know why in my, in my life that happened, you know, and it's not, I'm not ashamed of it or, or anything like that. It's just that you have to be comfortable, like you said, in your own skin and comfortable with your strengths and weaknesses and know, um, you know, why things happened a certain way, why you felt at something and, and, you know, get up and, and figure out how to get back on the horse and, and how it's not, why you're not going to let it happen again. You Agreed. Know?
I mean, I do think that the, the whole leadership journey is, I think it's 80, 90% constant self-reflection of awareness of knowing, you know, self-awareness, knowing who you are and constantly seeking self-improvement. I really do think it's yes. a more internal. I used to think it was so external, like, oh, it's my job to motivate this crowd and get people to follow me to the gates of hell. But <laughs> it's so internal, you know, and, yes. I, and, and, and getting that authentic and approachable side out and I, you know, I, you know, 12 years ago, I almost, we almost got divorced, me and my wife and, and it was all my fault. And I talk about it openly to people. I don't hide it. I mean, and, you know, I could sit there and air all the dirty laundry and people are going to make judgments about what the decisions I made, but I've never shied away from it. And the more that I did that, the more that I open up, yeah, some people might shy away, but the vast majority of people they come and they approach me and other men have come to me like, oh man, like how did, you know what I mean? I mean, I feel yes. like it, it's like yep. we're all human. Yeah. Yep, exactly. You know, in, in, in our business here um, on the NASCAR side, I mean, we have a lot of things, you know, that, that happen that maybe you sign a new driver and you can't talk about it or you're signing a new sponsor or, um, you know, towards the end of our season, they call uh, it silly season when the drivers and sponsors are changing teams and things like that. And that gives a lot of our employees a lot of uh, angst and anxiety when, uh, you know, they know how long a contract is signed for on a particular driver. And, and you're going to, and in, particularly in our industry on the Xfinity side, we tend to have drivers move up quite regularly. So we're losing a driver, you know, maybe a year, maybe they're here two years and then they're moving up to the cup series. Um, and, you know, the, the vast majority of our industry kind of withholds that information from their employees until, you know, the very last minute. And I've just found that getting up in front of your employees and, you know, maybe I can't tell them the exact who or what, but I can communicate that, they're safe and there's no reason for them to have fear and there's no reason for them to have anxiety over their job, you know, and those kind of things. So I think getting in front of them and, and giving out that information, it's like you said, you might not always can give all the details, but uh, you know, that communication and, and talking with them and keeping them in the loop. And they appreciate that so much, oh even if it's yeah. negative. Well, and they, you know. they're owed it to You're absolutely right. I love that you said that. I mean, what, one of my biggest pet peeves that I've seen is when the senior leadership withhold withholds information, and typically they don't withhold it because they're being, um, like I said, dis they they do it because of, of they fear they can't handle the truth or they can't handle the negativity. I want to protect them, or there's legal. This, I mean, it's so true that if you don't fill in those gaps with yeah. authentic authenticity and, and truth, and through time they're going to know what you're saying is the truth. If you don't fill in those gaps, they're going to fill it in for themselves, and it's usually going to be ten times worse than what the truth is, right? Absolutely, their yeah. assumptions or and their fears. I mean, can do a lot of storytelling in their own minds, and yeah. you know whether it's like we we just had a, a change in our healthcare benefits here, and you know you always hate to have those conversations about. Uh, you know, the premiums increase increasing or their benefit decreasing in some way or, or something. And, but just kind of hitting that head on and, 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 you know, giving them the big picture of why and how um, and, and helping them understand, you know, when, when they have a sense of the whole business and how it's ran, they can accept, yeah. you know, you're, you're still trying to keep them a job. You're trying to do your best to be here in 10 more years, you know, and, um, that always those things aren't even our business decisions. It's <laughs> what's going on in the world, right? I know. I love that. I love we won't that. talk about politics. No, but it's so true <laughs> that, I mean, I love how um, you said that. I mean, I haven't talked about this in a long time on the show, but it is one of, I just, I believe that so heartily. I got that from the Marine Corps early on. One of my mentors and officers said, you've got to tell them they're owed it. They, you know, and yes. of course in, in the Marine Corps and combat type situations, that their lives are at stake. So you owe to tell them the truth, even if it's bad news. And yeah. the good news is, is that when you tell them the bad news and you, and you authentically show them, Hey, yeah, um, the situation is kind of tough. Layoffs might be happening in the next six months, but here's what we can do today. And here's where I need your help. You know what I mean? At least it rallies yes. the troops around you, right? Then maybe they can help solve the situation. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I love so that's that. a very good point because, yeah. um, 
you know, including the employees to where, I mean, you know, you can't run a business by committee and run a business by your employees, but they can bring ideas. They can be part of a, a you know, you moving forward and being a solution and, Hey, did you think about this? And, um, a lot of times, you know, when, when my staff will ask me a question, I'm like, you know, why don't you go out and poll 10 people and get their, mm-hmm. you know, feedback and, and see kind of where it lands because my perspective as a leader and as at the top of the organization is a lot different than the people, right. um, you know, in different levels. So mm-hmm. don't you think that is your, yeah, I'm curious, uh, the role that you're at, isn't that your primary job? Your number one job is to constantly communicate. I call it maniacally communicating because I don't use the word lightly communicate where the ship is heading and why it's heading that way. Don't you feel like that is probably your biggest role? Yes, it is. Um, I think it's really important. Uh, we did something really fun this year. We always have a kickoff uh, for our season and it's kind of sets the stage to get started. Um, uh, you know, we have we have an off season, but it's kind of short. We end in November, right before Thanksgiving. Uh, you know, December, you, you're full of the Thanksgiving holiday and the December holiday, and you're kind of uh, undoing things from that year. Um, and then in January, you hit the ground running and you've got to be in Daytona five weeks later. So it's pretty short. And so we have this kickoff um, and we talk about our new sponsors and if we've had driver changes and we uh, have some interaction with our drivers and and we talk about our marketing programs for the year and what's up in the different business entities that we operate. And this year we decided to include uh, the spouses and uh, bring them in and do like a dinner. And I got so much praise for that from the spouses themselves because, you know, they're like, we don't, I mean, no offense to to the male generation, but a lot of times they don't communicate right. stuff sure. at home, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's true. Um, and so they're like, you know, this was really enjoyable for us to kind of, you know, see where your head is, see what the the organization is trying to achieve and we can support our spouses um, in a better way. Uh, you know, because we kind of know the objectives. I mean, obviously they know that, you know, they want to go out there and win every weekend, but um, you know, we share a little bit of behind the scenes and and why we're doing certain things and why this makes sense and why this doesn't make sense. And so I think that's real important. And yeah, I think that's my job wholeheartedly is to uh, stay in touch um, and, and stay in community with them. I go down on the floor and have conversation and, um, you know, I know everyone's name here that works for me. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's just really important and, and to remember, uh, you know, their spouses' names and kids. And, and if somebody stops me in the hall on one day and we talk about their kid, you know, doing uh, baseball or doing something, you know, I make a mental note to check in with them in a week and say, hey, you know, how did XYZ go? Or thank God for Facebook, right? Because we can all be Facebook friends and know what's going on in each other's life. And you can check in, you know, from that angle too. So I think that communication to your, to your employees is extremely important. And, and yes, one of my number one jobs. Yeah. And I think it's so powerful, you, you know, the, knowing your names and people's names, I'm always impressed with people that can remember that. I, oh, it's so difficult for me to remember, I guess, cause I get caught up in my headspace and thinking I got to, you know, be coming up with the kind of big ideas and the big decisions. And, and I, and that is part of the job. I think it's more important, like you said, of kind of leadership by walking around and constantly communicating where we're going, why we're heading that way. And knowing, knowing the, the names, I, oh, I had, um, you mentioned George, <laughs> hard. you mentioned, um, in your book, uh, George Bush senior and, and how you'd heard the story about how he knew all the names and this and that. And I had a couple of people on my show who worked for George Bush junior and, um, Dana Perino was one of them. One of them was his photographer. And we were talking about this same concept. And I said, what impressed you the most about working behind the scenes? What did people not see um, that the, the media portrayed, you know, George Bush Jr. another way? And what did you see? And they, to letter the T, they said they were so impressed by how no matter what was going on, he knew the names of every worker in that White House. And not only that, he knew the family members' names. He knew what was going on. And I just thought that was incredible. You know, I yeah. wish I could be that type of, I had that type of memory in that leader. Um, but yeah, I just, I don't know what my point was other than that. I remember reading that in your book, you talked about remembering people's names. Yeah. He, you know, I, I mean, I can see totally that where, um, 
you know, you, you get this mental picture of someone like, you know, George Jr. I was actually at an event with him uh, for, I believe it was for Bass Pro Shops. And um, we were in this little um, area getting some food and whatnot. And my husband and I were sitting at a table and he came over and he's like, is this chair taken? And I mean, I'm thinking, I'm looking, I'm like, to my husband, George Jr. was he want to sit with us? And you know, he just introduces himself and and gets your name and make sure that. And my husband is L W, and so that oh. can get very confusing for people. Yeah. He's a third um, Leslie Wayne, and so they called him L W. And so you know, we get L J, we get all these different names. And I remember him, um, you know, say it like, "What's that again?" And and so that was probably his process of uh, yeah. remembering that, but a really a pretty down to earth person when it's all said and done. Yeah, it's it's amazing. I've known a lot of people that know in the bushes, and they all, all said that you, you'll never meet a nicer, more genuine yeah. family behind the scenes. Yeah, that's really good. I love how you in the book you talk about decision making. That is one of my big pet peeves too, and I do think that. It is probably one of the biggest opportunities if people are looking in their personal lives and even in an organization, if you really want to start moving the needle and start seeing a big bang for the buck, learn how to become an effective decision maker with partial information. I think that will move the needle pretty quickly in short order. What are your thoughts? Yeah, agree. Um, you know, it it's I, I don't think there's a uh, you know, I don't think you can teach no. I don't know how you teach someone to do this, I guess, is, you know, there's no specific uh, black and white. OK, here's how do you go about making uh, good decisions, you know, knowing how to make good decisions. Um, but, um, you know, I think you learn over time. Uh, and I tell a story in here about my um, uh, my assistant uh, whenever people are coming to me to ask me certain things. I think there are things that you can do to know how to make good decisions and that's gather as much information as you can, you know, and, um, always, you know, do the right thing. And, and, um, and that can be hard, you know, I mean, we want to, we want to make certain decisions that maybe aren't in the best interest of everyone, you know, and maybe there's a, 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 a motive that leans you one way or, or doesn't lean you one way. And, Um, but I think keeping that, um, at the top of mind is important and, you know, timing. I mean, I, you know, there's, there's a lot of situations where I felt bad because maybe a decision hasn't been made. And, and I feel like maybe sometimes I'm stringing someone along or, you know, why isn't this moving quicker or am I procrastinating on something? But it seems that there always is a good reason for that, you know, and timing seems to be a really important part of that process and, and kind of filling out your gut and knowing what's going on in your head of, of, uh, you know, something that you're, you're trying to uh, make a decision on. So, um, but it's, it's, it's just not a real good science to it, you know, at the end no, of the day, but I, I don't think, think, I think like we were talking about before having the, the, the self-awareness piece, I think if you're, if you're good in that space and you're constantly doing that and, you, and you're constantly expanding your awareness muscle, I guess, and always, always looking at the big picture and trying to think, and you, and you talk about it in your book, the first step is kind of begin with, with the end in mind or begin at the end. I think yeah. knowing what the, what, a, every time I've been faced with, I need to make a, you know, I'm getting pressure to make a decision or I, I do need to me, I feel like I need to make one in a timely fashion or whatever the case, I always ask myself, what, what is the outcome I'm trying to, what are we trying to yep. do here? You know, yep. and at least that from a technique standpoint, at least I think that's a great starting point because it at least it kind of grounds you. It gets the kind of the mental, I don't know, it kind of takes some of the emotion out of it, if you will. Well, what are we yeah, doing? Yeah, well, I think it clears things up because, right. you know, you know, you, you, um, you can go in a lot of different directions and then your end goal starts looking differently, you know, but I think if you kind of keep your eye on what, what is the end goal? Because there's usually a reason that, I mean, there's something that you're trying to get to, right? There, there's a decision that you're trying to make. There's a, there's a reason that you're in that decision-making process because there's an outcome that you're looking for Mm -hmm. and what is that outcome and then how to go about that process. I, I think we probably, I use that a lot in parenting for sure. Oh yeah. (laughs) Well, yeah, for sure. Well, I think in particularly in business, we get pressured, particularly if we're a process heavy and it, process and procedures are needed in this and that. But sometimes 
time will go on and things change, but the process becomes so ingrained in the organization. And sometimes that drives pressure to make decisions. But I think that's why, well, what are we doing here? What are we trying to accomplish? Do we need to make this today? And to your point, right? It's like, well, sometimes you're frustrated that, or you're feeling impatient because a decision hasn't been made. If you can at least, when you catch yourself in that moment going, well, what are we trying to accomplish here? What, what's the outcome? Yeah. I think it's just a great starting point is because at least it allows you to kind of challenge outdated processes or assumptions, you know, well, we've always done it this way, which I just hate that term, right? And when I, yeah. start, when I start hearing things like that, I'm like, okay, what are we really trying to accomplish? And at least, at least it starts it. Yeah, and gathering facts, I think, is important too. But I think that, you know, sometimes I think that's where a lot of us get stuck. I know I have. It's like, well, if I just get one more piece of information, I can make the perfect decision. I've long since thrown out like, well, I just can't make perfect decisions. They don't exist. Some point, you're going to have to fill in your, and you mentioned this here, your kind of gut feel, intuition. You got to fill in that void somewhere. And I, I you're right. At, at that point, it just becomes all courage. It's not a checklist or technique or a tactic. It just becomes mental fortitude to actually pull the trigger. Well, yeah. And, you know, I, I, um, I have had some conversations uh, like that with some of my staff in terms of they do want to be able to make that perfect decision because obviously, you know, they don't want to let anyone down or have something go wrong. Um, but the beauty in that is that you get to make another decision, you know, right, right. I mean, at the end of the day, that's really what happens. And, and so as, as long as we, I say we can just make the best decision with what we have. You know, that's what we're trying to do right now. We're, we're it, maybe it doesn't work in six months and we have to, you know, look at it again and, and we have to come up with the information and make another best decision that we can. Um, but that is the beauty of the world is that we do get uh -huh. another day. Well, I think, it again. <laughs> I think the path towards achieving the goal, it's never a linear line. It's always a jagged. No. And I think the more that you can embrace that, it's too often I see people. I, I worked at a place one time, and my CEO he stood up in the annual meeting and says, "We're this, you know, twenty fifteen is going to be the year we become the perfect planners. We're going to because when you're a perfect planner and your plans are perfect, then you can cross the goal line." I'm like, eh, I don't believe that. I think yeah. it's, I'd rather, you know, because I haven't I'd, ran into much perfection. No, I haven't either. <laughs> And I, and I remember when things would kind of go to hell in a handbasket and people be running around and they had these beautiful plans. They had these beautiful like Microsoft project plans that took up the whole wall, right? With a little piece of yarn that showed them where they're at and all this like waterfalls dependencies and all this other trash and, and things would go haywire and they'd be like, we got to rework the plan, rework the plan, rework the plan. <laughs> and I was like, no, work the objective. Don't work the plan, work the objective. And that, that is a huge pet peeve of mine. Yeah, that's a big deal. Uh, just hearing that story, you know, I'm thinking about racing. I mean, there's no way there that you can, right? You you can have a plan, right? But you definitely, if something goes haywire in the middle of the race, you can't just like look at the plan and go, oh, oh, we got to rework the whole thing. I mean, you don't have that opportunity, <laughs> right, right? You got to take with what you're given right then and and do the best you can with. Yeah, it, it is so. a great analogy. I'm sure you go it's to a the good analogy. You you go to the race. You know, you have this plan to get to the Daytona 500 and get in a great pole position. But once the the flag goes down and you, you start, I mean, that plan kind of goes out the window. Right? Oh yeah. It's all about at that point. I mean, there's certain plans and strategy that you can have, but that is the beauty of, uh, of racing is, you know, maybe they're going into an event that typically, you know, maybe seven out of 10 times it's been one on fuel mileage, you know, and so they're planning out their strategy about how many stops they can make and how, far the fuel run is and, and what they end up to. But if you have a late race caution, all that goes out the window and it's no longer a fuel fuel strategy race. And what if you don't have enough, you know, you don't have a set of tires that you can put on your car for new tires or, or these different things that um, can either set you up for a win or to lose, you know? So yeah, it's definitely, you can have a plan, but uh, can't always execute it against that for sure. Yeah. I don't know how you guys do it in racing. It's just, it's so, Lots of variables. <laughs> so many variables. That's what makes it fun. Oh, sure. 
<laughs> I just watched that movie last week, that Ford versus Ferrari. You know, no, I did too. We watched it Friday night. Yeah, that was always, that was fun to watch. What a good movie. Yeah, that was good. Yeah. So what else? I was looking at these other things, and I just can't believe the time is going so quick. It's almost forty minutes in, and we talked about two <laughs> two of your principles there. <laughs> That's okay. We still want people to read it. That's still right. I mean, right I'm, to read it. What else? Stan? I mean, the manage your emotions part. We kind of tucked on on that, and leading from your heart. I I talk about all the time on this show that. Leadership really, at the end of the day, um, equals love. In fact, I do a lot of keynotes, and then I'll, I'll kind of replace. You know, in the, in the First Corinthians, where love is patient, love is kind. You yep. know, I, I I always when I I have a keynote called "What is Leadership?" and I say, well, and I go through a couple things, and I and I say, well, this is what I think leadership is, and I and I say, leadership is patient, leadership is kind, and I go through that whole thing in First Corinthians, and I say, does this sound familiar? And they're like. Oh, yeah. And I said, well, it's because I replaced the word leader. Because it is. Leadership is love, yeah. right? It really yeah. is. And it's not the Eros type of love that makes human resources nervous. It's the agape style love, right? The, the I'm doing something. I'm sacrificing so that you may prosper. And uh, yeah. so talk to I me. I love about, that. Yeah. What, what, what do you mean by leading from the heart? And Well, I mean, exactly the same thing. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, um, I'm a person of empathy and compassion and, and trying to put myself in their position. And I haven't always been that way, uh, you know, before, and obviously a lot of those things come with experience, maturity, uh, things that happen in your life. When I didn't have kids, I had no, uh, as a young leader, uh, in, in the merchandising business that I ran, uh, when I was fresh out of college, uh, you know, I had no empathy for, uh, kids being sick or this kind of thing. So, I mean, a lot of things that you learn over time, but um, what I have found is that it's so important um, and uh, just leading, you know, doing the right thing, leading from your heart, um, uh, letting people know they matter, they're worthy. And a lot of that just comes again from that whole background of childhood thing that is really important to me is that, you know, people need to know that they, they are cared for, that they matter, um, and, uh, that they're worth something to the organization, you know, no matter if they're the janitor or, you know, the head honcho and, um, you know, to remind them of, of, uh, I have a receptionist that's been with us for, she's been with me in different businesses that I've been in for probably 22, three years. And you don't find somebody that wants to be a receptionist for that long. And she's, she's, um, you know, and I always just tell her how important she is to, the scheme of things, you know, to make this world go round with the race fans calling and the race fans coming in and our business that we run and, and, you know, what a good job she does because, um, you know, you can feel insignificant, very easy. Um, but I think, uh, I, I don't know. I just, uh, the heart piece of it is really big to me. Um, I feel like when you meet someone, that's what they're going to remember about you. And, um, they're going to remember, you know, how you made them feel at the end of the day. And uh, so I want to make sure that I make people feel good. Yeah. You know, you talk about in the book and think about those examples of people in their past that you've seen lead from the heart. I mean, we all have seen it. And I ask people this all the time on the show is like, you know, if you could have, I used to ask if you could have, you know, dinner with, with alive or dead, seven, eight people have this wonderful night invariably everybody always comes up with a family member, a teacher and a coach. Yeah. And those are the three types of people, the good ones. And we, you can all, I'm sure I could ask you and you could list some that were there that sacrificed and tried to make your life better. Right. And those are the people you remember. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, the ones that leaned into you and really asked you what was going on and, and, uh, you know, helped you give you, uh, you know, mentor you and help you with suggestions on maybe how to handle something. Um, obviously teachers and coaches are, you know, that, that, that is what they do. Um, you know, they're trying to help you achieve something and get to the next level. And how great is it to, uh, if you can speak of, you know, your CEO in that way or your supervisor in that way, um, you know, in a very competitive business uh, called NASCAR, you know, so right. um, I think that's important. Well, uh, and having the awareness, I think just as leaders, and you know, this as a parent, I mean, you're way more influential than you realize. I mean, you're influencing whether you like it or not. And so if you can be intentional about it, you know, think of the impact you can have. I mean, yeah. I think I, I, kids have told me, it's like, hey, remember that time we did this and that? I'm like, I have no recollection of it, but they remember it for some reason, <laughs> right? Yep. <laughs> 
uh, when I was down in Disney, we went through the uh, Leadership Institute at Disney, and the very first thing on their page is that uh, to be intentional. So it's funny that you mentioned that. And and uh, again, you're, I, I was sharing some of the things uh, with my management group here when I came back, um, you know, being uh, intentional and then Yes, pe- you people are always watching. We are a reflection. We yeah. are influencing people constantly by our words and actions, and um, as leaders, very much so. And uh, so, it's real important uh, to uh, to do that in a good way. And I, you know, that's something that I think uh, coming up the ranks of leadership can be difficult because you can my kind of middle managers, you know, talking to them about how they talk to their employees and, and, and things like that, you know, what information you give them, how you say something. I mean, all of those things are so important to them, what they bring into the situation and, and how they interpreted what you said, you know? So, um, yeah, it's very important. As we kind of wrap up here, I'm curious about your, what you tell, um, so you, you said you had a 19 year old daughter, right? Um, yes. And we were talking, I have four daughters and I'm curious, I'll let you know what I say, but what do you tell your daughter, particularly here you are in an organization as a woman in leadership, you've, you've had 20, 30 years, uh, in this kind of setting as a, a woman in uh, obviously a male dominated, uh, arena. Um, how do you lead? And what do you tell your daughter? I mean, what would you advice would you give my daughters on mm. my 20 year old, my 20, my 23 year old, my 21 year old, <laughs> my 17 and my 15 year old? How can they go out and, and kick ass and take names in the world? Well, I mean, it, you know, this whole male female thing is a touchy subject because I believe like in our world, there's like we pretty much can do anything that we want to set out to do, but there are certain, Oh gosh, I don't even know where I want to go with this, but I don't know. I, I really hate being, um, I really hate, hate that we have situations like that where, you know, okay, you're a woman in a, in a male dominated yep. sport and, and this is what you're doing. Right. I'm just being the best version of me at the end of the day. And I guess that's really what I would tell, uh, you know, what I hope I show my daughters is that, um, you know, you, you go out and you, you do your best and, um, and, and give it all you got and be disciplined about it and be committed. We had this conversation prior to starting is just, you know, having that discipline and commitment to something. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, uh, you know, we can about accomplish anything um, if we, give it our best and, and, and do our best. I knew you were going to say that and I was hoping you would, but I just knew that <laughs> because that we've had this conversation. I've had many, um, we've talked about this subject and I know it's a touchy subject, but it didn't have to be in my opinion. And yeah, what I would tell my yeah. daughters is like what you just said is like, I don't even accept the premise. It's like when someone, like I asked the question here, a woman in a male dominated for don't even accept that premise. Just, lead, yeah. just lead as a human being. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I try to tell my daughters because when we get, when we, when we initially accept that premise, then it just becomes a, what, you know, like, oh, so I lead differently because I'm a woman and a man, right? No, you just lead no. because you're a human yeah. being. Right. Yep. And then exactly. that's what, yeah. And I knew you were going to say that. That's why I hope, you know, it's, I know people get all weird about it, but I'm like, don't even accept that premise. Like, you know yeah, what I mean? It's, it's just, it's a, it's such a hard thing to talk about and explain, you know, um, just in terms of, because I think that about, you know, female race car drivers um, and, and they they get such a bum rap that, yep. you know, they're not strong enough or they're not this enough. And there's not been uh, many that have been that successful. And I say, you look back at the global um, pool of people who are trying to be race car drivers. And there's, there's, I mean, there's, not going to be as many sex successful women because there's not, there's not as a big many pool of women them. to men, right. you know, being a race car driver and there's unsuccessful men, race car drivers, you know, and so on and so forth. So, yeah, um, you know, we worked, I worked alongside uh, Danica Patrick here for a couple of years as she raced the junior motorsports cars and, and I raced myself as a female and, and got a really hard time uh, back when I was, you know, 21, 22, 23, trying to race. And, um, so I've been there and I, and I know how that feels, but, uh, it, it, 
yeah, at the end of the day, if you're good at it, it doesn't really matter whether you're male or female. Yeah. And I knew you'd say, I mean, I, I figured that it's like, that's what I just tell my daughters. And, but I, but sometimes I just see them. The reason why I bring it up is because I see them when I have in conversations and sometimes they just, they seem, they, they fall a victim to that premise, I guess. Yeah. You know, what we're fed from the, Society, at, at the yeah. yeah. At the end of the day, if you just go out and lead authentically from the heart and you know who you are and you do it with confidence and compo- you don't, don't try to be, that's what I, drives me crazy is like, I see Look, I'm gonna. I need to be this role so I can be successful in this field. And I'm like, no, just be you, right? Yes. <laughs> and just yep. authentically yep. lead from the heart, and and everything else will take care of itself. Yeah, and realize that you know if they are trying to do something that's you know male dominated or whatnot, they are going to get that resistance. Sure. You know? Yeah. And they, but if you like, you say if they keep putting their best foot forward, they keep being themselves, they keep being the best they can be at it. You know, they'll they'll prove that existence wrong because they'll succeed at it. Yeah. Well, thanks for in, indulging <laughs> that, that question. I know it's not part of the book, yeah. but I just want to, I always like to ask uh, other women who've accomplished a, a great deal of significance uh, to what advice would you give my daughters? And, and I knew it would be good. So the book is Drive, Nine Lessons to Win in Business and in Life. And I'm excited about its release. I, I think it's a, a, a a great job, great, authentic, chock full of nuggets. And I really appreciate the authenticity. I mean, one of the more authentic books I've read in a long time. So I appreciate you adding that value to the world. Well, thank you. That's what, uh, that's what I say. I hope it uh, leads and, and, you know, my experience and, and what I've done can help shape and lead and, and change people uh, to be better leaders. So I appreciate the opportunity to uh, talk about it and share it with uh, all your listeners. How can my listeners out there learn more about you, get in touch with you, social media wise, website wise, what, what you want to get out there? Yeah, so I'm on Twitter. Uh, Earnhardt Kelly is my handle. Um, I'm on Instagram, uh, Kelly Earnhardt Miller. Uh, Miller's my married name. And uh, I'm on Facebook at Kelly Earnhardt, Kelly K. Earnhardt, uh, my Facebook fan page. And uh, of course, jrmracing.com. You can learn more about my book at kellyearnhartdrive.com. And of course, it's available in all major retailers and places where you buy books. And Fant- of course, Amazon. That's right. Fantastic. <laughs> I'll have links to all this on the post. And uh, what a pleasure to have you on the show. I look forward to staying in touch and continuing the conversations. Thanks for coming Thank on you, the show. Thank you, Richard. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. I truly enjoyed that conversation with Kelly. She's the real deal, right? I mean, you can tell. I mean, I've done 400 plus conversations on this show. And it's always fun when you get somebody like Kelly on the show that just, you can tell she loves to lead. She's taking the time particularly in their stage of life to look back and she looks at her transformation with open open and honest eyes and she shares it with the world and I think that's what's so great about her and her book is the same way you read the first three chapters of the book or the, the opening part of the book and it is about her life as an Earnhardt and growing up and what it means and it was something refreshing in a leadership book it just she just didn't go in and went right into her nine lessons she kind of set the stage and I think it's important for all of us right I mean that we are authentic we know where we came from Leadership is about constantly knowing yourself, seeking self-improvement. And I, it's so internal, guys. I mean, it's 80%, 90% of constantly working on yourself. I used to think, like I said earlier in this conversation, that it was external. But it's internal. And Kelly's a perfect example of that. right? And, and being authentic and approachable, it's her first lesson that she talks about in her book. And we spent most of our time talking about it on the show. But it sets the stage, right? Being authentic means knowing who you are. What strengths do you have? What can you capitalize on? Yeah, what limitations are holding you back? Being aware of those limitations and those weaknesses. But you don't necessarily have to try to spend all your time on them. Try to improve them. But, man, focus on those strengths. And being approachable, right? Let people know. Humanize yourself. That has come out time and time again in all these conversations. That the moment you become human, you become approachable. The trust builds in the organization. Everybody gets to know you. You don't have to tell everybody all your gory details. But talk about your mistakes openly with confidence, right? And I think Kelly's just one of those people. In the, and knowing how to make decisions, that looking at my notes, talking about being a decision maker, and particularly that we talked about in the show, you know, beginning with the outcome in mind. I think that was the big takeaway for me is like, what is the big outcome? You start with that. And like Kelly was saying in the conversation, like, well, is there a science and art? How do you do it? It's something you just got to do. And she's right. I mean, it really comes down to an internal process of being courageous and pulling the trigger. 
But like she and I talked about, you know, if you begin with the end in mind, she talks about this in her book, have that outcome. What is the end result you want? What does winning look like for you, right? And so that's a great place to start. It was just a fun conversation. And I really appreciate it. I kind of hit her with a curveball with asking about what it like to women to lead. But I think it's right, right? Just like if you're, if you've got daughters out there, or if you're a woman in a professional position, and, you know, look at her example, right? It's like, don't even buy the premise, just lead, lead with authenticity, lead from your heart. And it's all going to come into play. Thanks for tuning in the show. Hey, do me a favor, please tell a friend, tell a family member today. That's your call to action. I don't, you know, this is all free. You get this quality information talking to these quality guests this is so fun for me guys and i really appreciate your support and being a listener of this show tell a friend tell a family member share this conversation with them keep growing the dose of leadership audience it allows me to do what i love to do i know this is part of my purpose this is part of my passion i love doing this i love sharing these leadership ideas with you because you all you have it inside of you to be the type of leader you want to be. It's all inside. You got, you have the tools already. And if those of leadership can help you or any other leadership podcast can help you, share it with the world. Let the people know. I appreciate the support. All right. Thanks for tuning in. And I look forward to the next conversation. We'll see you. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. For the ones who get it done, the most important part is the one you need now. And the best partner is the one who can deliver. That's why millions of maintenance and repair pros trust Granger, Because we have professional-grade supplies for every industry, even hard-to-find products. And we have same-day pickup and next-day delivery on most orders. But most importantly, we have an unwavering commitment to help keep you up and running. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.